Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Opposing Points podcast. My guest today is Stephen Hallbrook, a senior fellow at the Independent Institute and author of The Right to Bear Arms, a constitutional right of the people or a privilege of the ruling class. Together, we talk about a brief history of the right to bear arms as we know it and its origins, the number one arguments and other arguments against the Second Amendment and his response, the purpose of the Second Amendment, and other things regarding gun violence, including bipartisan bills and reforms in Congress to increase gun control measures. If you like this video, don't forget to like and subscribe to the channel on YouTube. And I hope you don't forget to click that like button or the alert button uh, so that you will get any future uh, emails and alerts for future videos. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hi, Stephen. How are you? Thanks for joining. I'm great today. How are you? I'm great. Um, so, I, I, you know, with the whole gun rights uh, discussion going on in this in this country, um, can you give a brief history of the the right to bear arms as we know it, as far as its origins go, um, and, and talk a little bit about that? Right. So the Second Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That was adopted after the American Revolution, which was a time, of course, when the people of America armed themselves and defeated the greatest military power in the world, the, the Brits. It was adopted in 1791 with the rest of the Bill of Rights. It's got two parts. First, there's a basically a philosophical declaration of where regulated militia is necessary to the security of a free state. That was put in there because of the idea that we didn't really like standing armies. We wanted an armed people so that there couldn't be an oppressive standing army like we had seen with the Redcoats, the British. Then the substantive part of the Second Amendment, the right of the people to keep and bear arms. Notice the language, the, the people. It doesn't say the militia, it doesn't say the government, it doesn't say the National Guard, it says the people. And that we know the people is just what it says, just like the, the right of the people to assemble or the right of the people to be secure from unreasonable search and seizures. It means you and me, everybody at large. And then it says keep and bear arms. Keep means to keep, bear means to carry. And arms means arms, and that includes... <laughs> rifles like modern rifles so that's basically the what the text of the amendment states and we know at the time of its adopt, adoption it was non-controversial it only became controversial in the 1960s when they wanted to pass any and every kind of gun control law imaginable and so they started saying oh well this doesn't refer to the people it refers to the national guard or the states or uh and it doesn't refer to arms like handguns or, I mean, all kinds of arms are not included. It doesn't include so-called assault weapons. That's the modern argument. Um, and um, so nobody really has this right. And so there, there they went on their merry way, uh, all the sophisticated people saying there's no Second Amendment right, but all the regular people knew there was. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's where we end up. Uh, last week, we have the Supreme Court finally confirming 
not just the right to keep, but the right to bear arms. Right. And a lot, you address one of the points that people bring up, which is that they say, oh, it applies to the militia and not the individual. And I've also seen the argument made that it was all due to a misplaced comma um, in, in the, uh, in the written, written amendment. Uh, have you heard that one? I've heard it all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I don't know about the misplaced comma, but I mean, they try to turn it every way which, but loose. And the idea of a collective right that nobody has and everybody has, I mean, it was all a fantasy world of their own invention. Finally, in District of Columbia versus Heller, Justice Scalia put an end to that theory. It's an individual right. It belongs to me and you. And then finally, we get to um, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin, which Justice Clarence Thomas authored, uh, came out last week. When it says bare arms, it really means bare arms. So what do you think the, uh, the implications of that decision are going to be in places like New York, D.C., very um, places with a lot of gun control, but yet still a lot of gun violence? Well, the interesting part about D.C. is um, they tried to enact a law that uh, the police could determine if you had a need to carry a gun based on their own subjective um, impression. And basically nobody had a need. And so the right got denied. So there was a, a case decided by the DC circuit a few years ago, um, crossing out that, that need requirement. And so you can get a permit to carry in DC now, even though they, the old law is still on the books. But in terms of the Supreme Court decision, it applies to New York, it applies to California, <laughs> Maryland, uh, Hawaii, uh, New Jersey, and uh, who am I leaving out? Uh, Massachusetts, that's six states. And all, all six of those states have some kind of requirement, like New York said, a, a, a proper purpose. So some bureaucrat's gonna determine if you have a proper purpose to uh, carry a gun. And um, if you live in a high crime area, that's not a proper purpose. Mm -hmm. so nobody has a proper purpose, except for like billionaires, uh, celebrities like movie stars who hate gun owners uh, and people who paid the right bribes. A lot of people got carry permits in New York City. Yeah, I was going to ask about, about bribery. <laughs> money, prostitutes, and um, vacation tickets, tickets to the Bahamas. So okay. those are the states where those, um, those provisions are now un declared unconstitutional. But it's like the Empire Strikes Back or the Empire State Strikes Back. They're passing laws already to make it more difficult on gun owners than ever before. Um, yep. Like uh, sensitive places, all the mass transit, subways, um, just you name it. And New York, the, the legislation, I don't think it's been signed yet, but it will be. Um, if you're in a public place, uh, if a store allows you to have carry your gun, the, your licensed gun, they have to put a sign out saying that, um, something like uh, concealed carry weapon owners are welcome here. And, and it's a way to, to cancel them. I mean, nobody's going to want to put that on their, their door. It should be the other way around like it is in Texas. If you don't want somebody coming in, they need a sign up saying don't come in with a gun. Right. Yep. Yep. And I, I saw someone ask uh, the governor of New York, 
Hockel, um, you know, what data do you have that legal gun owners are committing these crimes? And she was like, I don't need data. And then uh, just completely no. ignoring anything and regarding it. I mean, because we already know that there's, there's a, a severe gun epidemic in New York going on. Well, yeah, there is, but it's not by legal gun carriers or people who lawfully possess guns. It's right. Criminals. Right. One, one, of the, um, one of the other common arguments is that when the Second Amendment was written, they didn't have high, high power firearms. They just had um, muskets. Um, and so you couldn't kill as many people at once. What's your kind of common response to something like that? Well, uh, maybe two or three fold. Number one, the, their muskets were 69 caliber. Uh, if, if they hit you up close, it could blow your arm off. Mm -hmm. um, and fights between Indians and uh, colonists, there were fights where, I mean, the Indians had bows and arrows, they had tomahawks, and they also got firearms later. But they could kill a lot of people real quick. And the, the colonists were slowly trying to reload their muskets. And there's plenty of massacre, massacres where a lot of people got killed and it was by with hand weapons. So, I mean, you can kill a lot of people really quick with a lot of different ways. You, you can use dynamite. We've got the Oklahoma City bombing. I mean, uh, there's no end to the evil things that, that mankind can do. So um, the, the fact is that the people have a right to keep and bear arms. That's what's guaranteed. And there are risks with Bill of Rights guarantees. And the fact that uh, people misuse those, those rights doesn't detract from the rights being held by the, the people. Just like uh, the right to free speech or press, that allows publication of Mein Kampf and the Communist Manifesto. How many millions of people have been killed because of those right. writings? Well, they probably, you know, put, put people like uh, Mao in one of those, uh, I don't know what kind of, you ever seen those shirts where it's a bunch of different colors and Mao's face like he's some hero? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the other, the other common things is, is that this is unique to America. In Australia, when they banned guns, there was no gun violence. Um, when the assault weapons ban was passed, there was a reduction in gun violence. And when it expired, there was an increase in gun violence. Um, what are, you, what are your common responses to, to arguments that people that make that? Well, the so-called federal assault weapon ban was passed at a time when crime was going down. It continued to go down, and then it continued to keep going down after that law expired. So there was no, no decrease in uh, crime attributable to that law uh, or to the fact that um, it became lawful again to have all the cosmetic features of semi-automatic rifles that that law banned. The whole thing was a farce. Mm -hmm. uh, it grandfathered the rifles that um, were in the people's hands already. And so you had just as many of these so-called assault weapons, modern sporting rifles as before, and crime kept going down. So, you know, what's the refutation of that? And the Department of Justice studies showed that um, um, there, there was no nexus there. I mean, this was DOJ. This was the government financed study. Mm -hmm. um, one during the course of that law when it still existed and one afterwards. And, and this, the, America is unique in terms of our Bill of Rights. We have a lot of freedoms that other societies don't have, but there are other countries where it, it's very normal to keep and bear arms. I mean, Switzerland is one of those uh, where 
they they hand you an automatic rifle when you turn 18 or 19 if you're a male and traditionally there's it's been required and you keep it at home in case of the need to mobilize and in fact um i've written a couple of books on that world war ii that was one of the reasons that the nazis were dissuaded from invading switzerland so um and speaking of books i, I should just mention this book um, the right to bear arms, a constitutional right of the people or privilege of the ruling class. Just Google my name, Stephen Hallbrook, and um, the right to bear arms. If you're interested in that book, it's on the same subject that the Supreme Court ruling just came down on. It, it, yep. it came out right about the time the court said they'd hear the case a year ago. And it goes into a lot more detail on the history of the right to bear arms. Yeah, and, and the little bit of uh, introduction I do before the interview starts, um, I'm, I'm, the, the book is, it, I started reading it, it's very good. Um, it's, and it's on sale on Kindle right now for those that like e-reading. Uh, yes. Yeah, we, we need more work like that. I, I know John, John Lott has written quite a few books regarding gun ownership as well, but um, it's very useful because I feel like a lot of these myths um, that, that you dispel are pretty pervasive throughout our culture that it's easy for people to repeat the talking points, but they don't dig further into the data. Right. And, and they, they live in a kind of a fantasy world bubble. The right to keep in their arms protects us from criminals. Um, you know, it used to be said if, if uh, seconds count, then the police are minutes away. I've heard that one. <laughs> and, and when we go to the year 2020, the year of the riots, if you called 911, they would say, we don't have any service available. You were on your own. Mm -hmm. But the founders had more in mind than just, you know, robbers and burglars and rapists. They had in mind tyranny, governmental tyranny, and they had in mind foreign invasion. Yep. And that those were really prominent um, reasons for adoption of the Second Amendment. That's the other one I was going to bring up is that a common response. Uh, this is for the at the end of the day, I think people just don't care about the Constitution. But the common response is that, oh, well, if the government really wanted to kill you, you wouldn't stand a chance anyway. Yeah, that's not true at all. If you look at, um, first of all, most Americans um, do basically believe in our system. You're not about to uh, convince the, our military people by and large to, and our police forces to somehow turn up upon their neighbors and their relatives and to, to um, you know, if there was some kind of military coup d'etat, they're, they're just not going to go along with that. They're not going to kill their friends and, and, and their um, husbands and wives and children. And, and it, there's just no chance. And, and if you look also at uh, the fact that there can be, uh, small arms can be very validly used to resist tyranny or invasion, uh, you know, before uh, Ukraine got invaded recently, Zelensky was against gun law reforms and against liberalizing the gun laws. And boy, did he wake up quickly when the, the invasion was about to begin. They passed out, what was it, 24,000 automatic rifles to people in Kiev. And, and all over the country, all of a sudden, we want guns. And there's pictures of uh, they were having to train people using plywood cutouts of what looked like AK-74 rifles because mm -hmm. they didn't have enough guns to go around and not enough people knew how to use them. So, I mean, the, what the Ukrainians are doing is, is 
they obviously need heavier weapons as well, but I mean, the, their snipers have taken out Russian generals. I mean, having the um, small arms among the people, that's been very much a, an asset. And just one more point, if I might, about that. Before the invasion, the guns were supposed to register, but maybe two thirds of them were not. And, and boy, was, you would wanna be uh, an, an, un, an unregistered gun owner in any village where the Russians take over, because they're going to look you look you up. They're going to find the records. They're going to look you up and shoot you. Yeah, like uh, the the they just leaked all that data in California of, of the gun owners. I mean, I mean, I think I think you know this. Like, it's an unequivocal kind of historical fact that before a government can take control, they have to disarm the population. I mean, we've seen it throughout history. Absolutely. Um, one of my books is called Gun Control in the Third Reich disarming the Jews and enemies of the state. <clears throat> Gun registration was passed by the Weimar Republic. They warned, don't let these records fall into the hands of radical elements. Well, guess who took power? Ra radical elements, the Nazi party. They immediately used those records to disarm their political opponents. That was in 1933. And then in 1938, when they um, committed the, the pogrom against the Jews, Kristallnacht, mm -hmm. um, they, they Weeks before that started, they were they told that all Jews in Berlin and elsewhere you have to turn in your guns, and they knew who had them. They had the registration list. Yes, the it's like the original. It's like the red flag laws. You know, oh, this person is Jewish. It's a red flag. Take their arms. <laughs> um, so right now, because of the the tragedy at Uvalde, the there's a bipartisan bill um, in Congress. Um, are there are there any kind of gun reforms or gun laws that you think are beneficial, like whether it be um, a background check or mandatory training in, in gun usage uh, before you can conceal carry outside? Are there any sorts of gun laws that you think are actually effective versus ones that are just kind of saying, check the box, look, we did this? Well, the main effective ones are those that are aimed at criminal conduct. Um, mandatory sentencing for those who use guns and crimes of violence, for example. So the, the focus needs to be on criminals. Um, it is possible to beef up some requirements. I mean, one of the provisions of the law that, that was signed into law, by the way, uh, just the other day, uh, the new federal legislation was to, um, to look into serious uh, juvenile records, records of serious crimes committed by juveniles, because that's not been in the background check system. Under the National Instant Criminal Background Check System, uh, if you buy a gun from a um, federally licensed farm dealer, and that's the way most farms are bought, uh, there has to be a background check. And adult records are there, but up until now, juvenile records were not. So if it's the kind of record that um, that, you know, a person has killed somebody or, or um, wounded somebody, robbed, that kind of thing. There ought to be a background check for those. But the, most of that bill is just uh, puffery. It, it's got financing red flag laws. It's got bringing a whole new group of misdemeanor, um, misdemeanors into the prohibited fold and the so-called boyfriend loophole. Uh, we don't mm -hmm. need to disarm people convicted of mere misdemeanors. Right. A good friend uh, uh, of mine, Charles Love, who's a, a radio host and an author, he made a great point about 
the, the red flag laws is like, it's kind of these loners that are committing some of a lot of these shootings. And in order to be a loner, that means you don't have friends that would notice yeah. that you're a concerning individual. Um, and, and those sorts of laws can be weaponized against, you know, if you have conservative views or, or liberal views, whatever it may be, it can be easily um, weaponized against you. Um, yeah, and by the way, the um, California Attorney General, in reaction to the New York decision, said that, okay, so we can't uh, use the criterion of, do you have a special need, but we can look at your character. And to do that, we can look at your social media posts. Uh, if you have hate speech, like who's going to decide if you have hate speech? Is it going to be the Southern Poverty Law Center? I'm just saying people that speech? censored Hunter Biden. It, story yeah it's a that's a hate speech group itself yeah and so they're they're looking you know conservatives well that's hate speech you're you voted for donald trump that's half the country mm -hmm. you're a hate speecher yep uh my last question for you um is some people try to make gun ownership about race and basically you know gun ownership is white supremacy um, I was I was at King's Dominion um, water park and I actually saw a black guns matter shirt worn by a black man. I was I was I, it's the first time I've ever seen one like in 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 public. I've heard of them, uh, the shirts. But what are the the kind of demographics around um, gun ownership now? I, know, I, I think the last I heard was that they're changing more African-American women are buying guns. Um, what are you seeing as far as those trends? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean. Women in general uh, are, are buying a, up to a third of the guns nowadays. So the, the, about a third of the new gun owners are women. Uh, black women are very much in that fold. Uh, many of them are getting trained. I mean, don't kid yourself. Um, look, the Second Amendment, like the other Bill of Rights, uh, African Americans were deprived of those rights uh, when they obtained citizenship through the 14th Amendment. That was done away with, at least legally. Um, and, and you've got prominent Black civil rights leaders. I mean, Martin Luther King applied for a concealed weapon permit, and he was turned down after his house had been bombed. So uh, there's a growing awareness in the African-American community that, that guns are obviously useful for protection. Um, there were several briefs filed in the New York case in support of of the uh, litigants, the challengers, uh, on behalf of African-American gun associations. So uh, th that's a growing trend that um, uh, Black people understand their rights just like white people and just like others in different ethnic groups. Mm -hmm. I, uh, I was just uh, last thing on that, I was making a like a kind of educational video on TikTok related to this topic, because I don't know if you, like on The View, Joy Behar basically said when Black people, you know, Want, start owning firearms that's when we'll get gun control and so the point i made was that well there there was gun control during slavery and so someone in the comments said what gun control law was passed during slavery uh, well, <laughs> slaves were disarmed hello i mean that you the the punishment was whipping yeah so i was like oh i was like you know what there needs to be a formal law they couldn't own anything that included guns do you think that people can be enslaved if they have weapons to defend themselves so right and they did have formal laws every every state that had slavery had laws against slave gun ownership after the civil war the southern states tried to reenact those laws and they were uh done away with as i said by the 14th amendment
Yeah. So that, that's a, that's a lot of my concerns about people my age. They maybe even older too, that they, they don't know the history of these things. They believe these myths. And that's why your book, the right to bear arms, a constitutional right of the people or a privilege of the ruling class is a very good educational tool. Um, and it's written in, in a sort of way um, that people can read and not have to dig, uh, it's, it's not overcomplicated for people. It's, it's, it breaks it down really well for people. Um, so with that, where can, where can people follow you or, or read more of your work? Um, do you have uh, social media that people can, can reach you? Well, so I'm older, so I don't have that much social media. I do have a website, stephenhallbrook.com. Okay. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-H-A-L-B-R-O-O-K.com. Also, um, I have an Instagram account. Just put in SP Hallbrook Instagram and you'll find it. And um, <clears throat> the book, you can get it on Amazon or any place where you can, where you get books. They're easy to get nowadays. And I've got a number of other books on Second Amendment related topics. And just look at my website and you can find them. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate you joining Opposing Points. It was a pleasure. I'm glad to be on the show. Thank you for having me. 